This podcast is brought to you in part by the estate of Bob Nelson. Bob was a lover of all things San Diego and a longtime supporter of Voice of San Diego and its podcasts. We at Voice of San Diego are honored to have his support during his lifetime and continued support through his estate planning. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community, fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you looking to engage with regional decision makers, business leaders, elected officials, and industry professionals committed to improving downtown San Diego? Join the Downtown San Diego Partnership. As a member, you'll receive access to exclusive resources, exposure to special programming, networking functions, and additional opportunities unmatched by any other local membership-based organization. Join the driving forces behind the future of downtown San Diego. For a 10% discount, become a member today. Welcome to the Voice of San Diego podcast in partnership with News Radio 600 Kogo. I am Scott Lewis, the CEO and editor in chief at Voice San Diego. I'm joined, as always, by the managing editor, Andrea Lopez Villafania. What's up, Lopez? Hey, Lewis. It's good to see you. Same. So we swapped movies. You said Under the Same Moon. Yes. And I implored you to watch the paper. You threatened me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I will watch the movie. <laughs> thank you. Appreciate that. And you also, Jacob McQuinney, reporter. Hello. You will watch the paper as well. Yes. Uh, and if I get fired, I'll post a review on Glassdoor <laughs> or whatever it is. <laughs> I'm not going to fire you. This is a good movie. Coming up on the show this week, we've got a big update on our investigation into stadium concessions and the nonprofits that staff them with Quote, volunteers will explain. And the biggest race in the county right now is one between County Supervisor Tara Lawson-Reamer and the former mayor, Kevin Faulkner, who wants to oust her from her seat. He took some sides this week that I would like to discuss. Sean Elo Rivera was able to hold onto his seat as the president of the San Diego City Council. But it was a split vote, and that meeting got super tense. We'll review it. And finally... SB 43 is buzzing in San Diego right now. That's the new state law to expand conservatorship, giving officials more leeway to detain people they deem unfit to care for themselves. It turned into a major issue, and I think it will be one of the big disputes to watch 
2024. Stay with us. But first, stealing your job, Scott. Coming for you. Coming for your butts first. But first. If they give me a severance, you can have that. (laughs) We are in the giving season. Voice of San Diego is a nonprofit news organization fueled by listeners just like you. You can support our reporting and this show now at vosd.org slash community. Just to be clear, fuel means money. Send money. Yes. (laughs) I hate it when the public radio and stuff, they're always like, kind of like subtle about it it's like (laughs) it's powered by you what do you mean it's powered they're not like like rowing they're not like (laughs) they don't have like exercise bikes turning and turning turning power into fuel cash cash money okay okay here here let me let me let me fix that voice of san diego is a nonprofit news organization fueled by your money fueled by by money but from listeners like you good Okay, is that that a little more Uh explicit? Thank you. You can support our reporting and this show now at vosd.org slash community. Every gift is a huge help towards our goal of $250,000 by the end of the year. And by gift, we mean cash money. (laughs) When you give, you can write a note that our entire team sees, and here are a few good ones. All right, Martha S. says, I gave because of your homeless reporting and deep investigative journalism and Huntsbury's work uncovering the charity frauds at large sports slash entertainment venues. Uh, we should maybe cut that one out. I don't want Huntsbury's ego to grow anymore. Uh, Mitch W., with the UT's future uncertain, your excellent local journalism is more important than ever. The Friday podcast is a highlight of my weekend. Lopez is like the sobrina I never had. Oh, I love that. That's very so sweet. cute. Thank you. Grant, do you have any uncles? <laughs> I do have uncles. Yes. <laughs> I could always use more <laughs> for the domingo, you know, there you yeah. go. more Christmas gifts. All right. Granto says simply journalism. It's <laughs> good. That's a good, good uh, comment. I appreciate that one. Uh-huh. Uh, Alexander L., I could not stop laughing at the synopsis of Gilly's Bar pre-takeover. Too true. Was this about the little farts? It, 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 it's not that the fart, farts were little. It's that it always smelled a little bit like farts. Oh, I, yeah. I don't know why I thought it was little farts. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's that there are, at any given time, little farts coming out of little butts. But but generally, I think it's that it always smelled a little bit like farts. You know, okay. It's one of those things. That once it, once it gets into the, into the seats... It's tough to get it out. Uh, anyway, thanks to all of you who gave last week. And you are next. I feel like I'm, what is the, what's his name? Uncle Sam. Mm-hmm. You are next. Pretend I'm pointing at you and I'm guilting you into giving us money. Uh, join the voice community now at vosd.org backslash community. That is vosd.org slash community. This has been one of the my favorite stories that Voice has uncovered, and I think in a way it's been it's like we've we've had major impact before, but always in in like isolated ways, right? It was just like a scandal here or a scandal there. Sandag, Sandag was great, changed everything about San Diego County, but it was it was it was an isolated thing. I think what Will Huntsbury uncovered about stadiums and venues and concessions is like systemic in a way that could be nationwide. So just to review, remember the contours of this scandal is that 
at stadiums, the concession stands, are often actually staffed by volunteers for nonprofit organizations. And it's supposed to be a win-win where the stadiums that have trouble staffing some of these concession stands get staffed to do it, and the nonprofits get some of the proceeds, 10% usually, right? But what we uncovered is that first, Will Huntsbury uncovered that one of the main providers of this staffing at Petco Park, like what was it, nine stands per night for 12 years or mm-hmm. something like that? Or was it 12 stands for nine years? I keep getting those confused. No, I think it was something nine like stands that. for 12 years. Yeah. Uh, they, he turns out like it was supposed to be a, a softball league that doesn't exist <laughs> and a nonprofit that doesn't exist. So it provoked the question, who's staffing? Who are the volunteers if there's nothing to volunteer for? Right. The idea being if you're a legit nonprofit doing good in the community, then you have people who believe in your mission, believe in the work you do, and they would, of course, volunteer hours of their day to sell some hot dogs. Right. My softball league could, could probably staff one of these things for a couple nights to get some of the money for its cause. But who's going to do that if it doesn't exist? Who are the parents of the softball league that doesn't exist? Let alone, I mean, nine or 12 stands. I mean, I don't know where, where we landed on the correct number, but that is a lot. That's a lot of people. So it's a staffing challenge. Yeah. And so they, it turns out they don't exist and don't have volunteers and thus brought the second story, which was that this whole shadow labor system has grown up in many of these venues, including the amphitheater in Chula Vista, Snapdragon Stadium, uh, Sports Arena, other places where it, it seems like actually these nonprofits are paying people, but they're paying people under the table. Now, not all of them, but they're paying some of them. We were able to find receipts, or Will was, uh, about some of them paying people under the table and below minimum wage, which doesn't seem right. Right. Often it was like young high school age kids and also people who don't have uh, legal documentation to work in the United States. Right. So people who might be vict- <laughs> or vulnerable to exploitation, right? So we, he's been unraveling step-by-step step this story, and the latest edition of it is that he has confirmed that both the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the San Diego County District Attorney's Office are investigating this. He confirmed directly with the, what was it, Workplace Justice uh, division of the district attorney's office. Uh-huh. I love that name, though. It makes me think that they like are busting down doors trying to figure out who ate Susan's sandwich in the <laughs> fridge. You know, <laughs> we're meeting out workplace. We're meeting out justice. Workplace justice. <laughs> no, That'd it's more serious than that. Yeah, it would. See, you might see like all of the uh, billboards around town. This is the group that is investigating wage theft. Like, if in some of them in Spanish, saying like, if you haven't gotten paid. You know, you this it's not allowed. You need to get paid. It's the law kind of thing. So that'll be interesting. Now, I don't know exactly what angle the Federal Bureau of Investigation is looking into. I love how you're saying the entire name. <laughs> it throws me off. The FBI? The FBI. Yeah. Well, that's written out here. I don't know. I just read what I'm just like Ron Bergen here. Um, so we will see what where that takes it. But I think... Uh, it's worth following. You can see the update at VOSD.org slash concessions. All of our stories about this scandal are at VOSD.org slash concessions. I don't 
often take like really hard stands. I I, I say things pretty. <laughs> come on, no, I, I palm trees. I palm trees, sure, stuff like that every Baseball. once in a while. But I don't. I I I have like I I try to think of it as like just good harder analysis. But I don't really like take big stands against like certain policies, right, or whatever. I've often said like a whole point is we can be outraged about problems and then fair about the solutions, right? If a school is falling apart, I'm not going to say like, well, you got to change the principle. You got to do mm-hmm. that. I'm going to say like here, you know, you got to fix it, mm-hmm. but come up with a solution and, and all. Like you got to fix it, but I'm not telling you how. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, but I, I, I am angry about Sunbreak Ranch. I don't know if it's come across yet. But this is the idea that like all you're going to they're going to gather up all the homeless residents of San Diego and they're going to put them in a camp and concentrate them out in the camp mm-hmm. in the desert. Mm-hmm. I still love the, Two, the way that, that you phrase this. <laughs> $275 million, tons of acres somewhere out in the desert. And obviously, I, um, I, I think... It, We've talked about how the the Marines, where they first identify or where they have identified where they could be mm-hmm. and have some spot out in Miramar. The Marines said, no, that's not going to work. <laughs> there are bombs in the ground and planes sometimes crash right there. It's just that's, not going to happen. Sounds like a wonderful. Also, like there's creatures there, right? Whose habitat. Right. That is. That is. I <laughs> Let's mean, not forget about the little bunnies jumping around. Obviously, I think it's a terrible idea, but the the concept that like there are bombs here and planes sometimes crash, but also there are endangered animals here is a genuinely very funny like juxtaposition, right? Yeah, well, I think it's true. Like the probably the best conservation of land we have in in San Diego County is Camp Pendleton, <laughs> and yeah, the same thing goes there, right? Yeah. Like it, we, it, that would be wall to wall strip malls. Orange County garbage, yeah, right? True. If not for that, but also it's just probably <laughs> weathered a lot of ordinance, right? So, I, I <laughs> but I agree with bunnies and ordinance. It's, it's probably some <laughs> poor bunny just getting blown up here. <laughs> so that's the concept. It's it's uh, touted by businessman and artist George Mullen, and he's gotten a lot of support. Now, it, Lisa and I actually talk we're like, let's just ignore it. This is just a, it's clearly like this pie in the sky thing. And it is very uh, uncomfortable how they've talked about it. And it is weird, but it seems so remote and so fantastical that it's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. So why are we even worried about it or thinking about it or going to report on it? Mm-hmm. But then Bill Walton endorsed it. Uh, some major philanthropists in town endorsed it. And it started to gain steam, and I and so we we looked into the whole thing about, and we were able to break the story that the Marines were uncomfortable having it in their area, and they came back and said, "Don't worry about the Marines. This is not site dependent. We can put this massive camp for homeless individuals somewhere. Mm-hmm. Don't worry about that. This three hundred million dollar plan is we can work it out somewhere." So, the idea lives on. The idea lives on. So their their plan is to put it at H Barracks then. No. <laughs> no. So so Kevin Faulkner is running for county supervisor against Tara Lawson Reamer. This is unquestionably to me the biggest race in San Diego County this 
year. And that is and that is because the winner of that race will decide the majority of the five-member board of supervisors at the county and will have major impact on housing and land use discussions, on behavioral health spending, on all these social issues that have coursed their way through the county and that the county has become so much more prominent because in part because of the pandemic and the uh, the interest and the spotlight it was under. Yeah. And so this is a huge race. Now, Kevin Faulkner, former mayor, he just the other day endorsed the Sunbreak Ranch. And he said, uh, quote, we need bold and creative ideas to reduce homelessness in our region. Sunbreak Ranch is one of those creative ideas. I'm endorsing this concept as a way to get people off the street and giving them the help they need to turn their lives around. Hmm. So I uh, this this was infuriating to me. <laughs> now, here's what bothers me the most about this. The problem with Sunbreak Ranch, there's two big problems with it. One is that it's a let's say it's real, then it it really is a concentration camp for the homeless located remotely. Yes, they say they could leave and they can take shuttles back to the city, but a shuttle once a day is weird. They're not going to go there voluntarily. So it's like a concentration day camp. Yes. <laughs> yeah. They're not going to go there voluntarily. So you're going to have to do something. And they say like, I say like, what if they just don't go there? They say, well, we'll be, we'll be so harsh and we'll enforce <laughs> things even more here so harshly that they will have to. They have no choice. <laughs> but they're already like, they already have the power to do that. Yeah. And they are enforcing it more. Like, what are we talking about here? Like, what are you, you know, burn them? Like, what are you talking about doing? And, and so why not have, you know, places here that they can go to? And I, I've been talking about that for years, right? Set aside places for them to go and, and make clear other places they're not allowed to be. Mm-hmm. But I think 15, 20, 30, 40 miles away from San Diego is a bad concept. It's mm-hmm. a lot of money. And it would require, they, they say to finance, all of the shelters that we have in San Diego would have to be shut down and all of those resources redirected to this camp. But the, the second real problem with this is that it's not real. It's never going to happen. And thus it becomes this like depository of ideas, this, this fantasy that you can always hold up to oppose every other possible solution Mm -hmm. in San Diego. And in particular, right now, there's this idea to do, and not idea, proposal to turn H barracks, this vast complex of abandoned buildings next to the airport, not in Point Loma, by the way, not in Liberty Station, across the river from those places, and, and have all those abandoned buildings turned into a campus for either big tents, shelters, safe camping, safe parking, all that stuff, right? And hundreds of people could go there. So if you're going to clean them out of the other parts of San Diego, if you're going to force them out of there, they have a place to go that's at least more central to services and accessible to the. So the reason why this is Sunbreak Ranch is demonstrated by Faulkner himself because Lisa asked, Lisa Halverson asked Faulkner himself, well, do you support the H barracks? Because as you say, like, it's not bold creative solutions. Right? Bold creative solutions. It's a safe place for people to go. Faulkner himself had said, "Look, I think of this." His his spokesperson said, "I think of this the same way I think of what we did at the convention center during COVID, 
when all the shelters had to clear out. And so they, they made an emergency decision to open the convention center as an emergency place for the homeless individuals to be. Now, Faulkner, to be clear, did not want to do that. He was pressured and finally caved to allow the convention center to be mm-hmm. a, a emergency shelter. But that was, a, that was a very important thing that happened. But here's another situation where there's hundreds of people could be uh, allowed to be if they're pushed out of other areas of San Diego in the H barracks. And he says, guess what? No, I'm against that. No other comment about it. No other comment explaining why. So again, the whole thing has boiled down to, I am for pushing them out of, of certain areas of town. I'm for letting, setting aside place, a place for them to be, but not where you could conceivably walk from it to Point Loma. Mm-hmm. That's where it ca- crossed the line. Can't well, he, do that. well, he's against real things and for fake things. <laughs> but that's what's so insidious about this idea is mm-hmm. that now it can be used to oppose every single thing that might be presented to, um, to make change in this situation, to address this crisis. And I think, I think that's what's so upsetting about it is that, is that if this keeps going like this, um, you're going to be able to hold people like Faulkner are going to be able to hold this up and and use it as like a way to like signal to the angriest of people up and down the coast that he's with them that he gets it like they should be pushed out of sight out of mind into the desert and I there's a plan there's a realistic plan to do that and thus you can oppose anything nearby that might help them closer now also. There are a lot of homeless people in Point Loma and in Ocean Beach right now. <laughs> and if you're going to push them out of there, I think next to the airport is actually a pretty conceivable, accessible idea. So I, I don't know. I just I find this just all very upsetting. Well, well it, is, it is really interesting the degree to which um, so many people in recent months have, have decided to sign on to this thing that is clearly fake and is clearly never going to happen. I mean, it's almost like everybody is is saying, yes, we need to create Big Rock Candy Mountain. You know, like we don't, and, and in doing so, we need to ignore all other realistic ways to, to ease this crisis in the interim. And what's particularly galling is they keep using the language of like innovation. Mm. You know, this always comes up like, well, we want to build this like special stadium or airport or whatever. And yeah. everybody's like, well, the naysayers don't want it. And that's what they bring out with this. They're like, oh, you're a naysayer. You don't want this big, cool thing that we have or that we this idea we have. Yeah. But the problem with this is that this is undebunkable. You can't like like we point out, like you can't put it at Miramar. Mm-hmm. They say no. And they're like, well, this is not site dependent. It can go anywhere. Well, where can it go? Well, we don't know, um, but it's it, there's it's conceivable, and so you you can't ever hold them to account for where it can go. It just keeps getting stronger the more you debunk it, right? Yeah. Oh, like oh, this just this is just being opposed by naysayers who don't believe in the power of of this innovation and this idea. It's like when fairy it, power, where you have to like if you believe it, then they will live, right? And so <laughs> it just it it becomes this even more powerful way to oppose actual things that the city can actually do. The mayor the mayor considering a big plan at H Barracks is bold. It is exactly what we've pushed him to do. 
for a long time to find a safe space for people to go while you clean up other parts of San Diego. And it, it would take a lot of community support and, and to have this like, this like vent for it that can like oppose it and provide some sort of alternative. It's just, it's kind of driving me nuts. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Do you think H barracks will happen? I don't know. I mean, I think I have a lot of friends who are opposed to it, but I think it's it's like really being mischaracterized. Like there's, it's not in Point Loma. It is across the, the bay, not the river, but the bay. And also like there are homeless individuals in Point Loma and Ocean Beach. So if you're saying they can't be pushed out into that place, what are you exactly saying should happen to them? Like, where should they be? And if you're saying, like, they should be sent out into the desert, again, that's not real. That doesn't exist. And even if it's if it's conceivable, it's many, many years down the line before they can build a $300 million campus in the desert. And it's just, it's, uh, it's I'm sorry, it's driving me nuts. But thinking, like, if this is such a bold idea, then you need a bold move and just make it happen. Right. To her credit, Jen Campbell, the city council member, has been pretty sober about this topic. And, you know, we need a place for them to go. There's no evidence that around these these types of facilities or safe areas has there been like some sort of scourge of, of toxic individuals, you know, proliferating from it or spilling out from it or whatever. Like there's like the safe camping in Balboa Park seems to be going pretty well. And um, it, it just it we've got to have places for people to be right now. If you believe in the urgency of like the Sunbreak Ranch folks who seem to say they do believe in that urgency, the triage sort of mentality, the triage needs to happen now. And these are the kinds of places that can that can handle it. I think when we review the year of journalism in Avoice San Diego, I think one of the main facts that will be something that the community has to grapple with and that will continue on and, and really frame public discussion will be one that Lisa Howerstadt uncovered about the lack of availability of beds for people who uh, are of the lowest incomes in San Diego and that rely on Medi-Cal. That if you are one of those people and you are addicted to a substance and you're trying to get off of it, and you need some real help to do that, with by, which, by the way, for some of these drugs is perhaps the most painful experience that they can imagine going through and will ever have to go through is to experience the withdrawal of it. And the beds, the number of places they can do that if they have Medi-Cal are none. <laughs> it's just almost nothing. And you found, I think, in September, your piece about that was rather stark, there's one bed in San Diego, the city itself, and then just basically any of the other beds in the county are, if you get one, it's like winning the lottery. Yes, I do believe it's about two beds. Uh, so, uh, about two. two. <laughs> and I should have checked that before we came in, too, because there's have been some efforts to add beds. But yes, it is absolutely excruciating. For these folks who, you know, raise their hand and they finally get to that point after a really tough time with their addiction, I'm ready to go. And they raise their hand and they may end up waiting weeks or they may just end up giving up because imagine you're in the throes of addiction. You have a really hard life. Maybe you live on the street. 
You can't get that connection. And it's most dire when we're talking about detox beds. So that's a place where people can go and safely go off of those substances and have some monitoring for safety. And even if somebody wants to go into a longer term program, too, that's very rarely available on demand. So, again, if you're ever talking with somebody in San Diego, you're at a bar, you're talking about all the problems in the street. Somebody walks by who's obviously troubled and, and you start talking about it and they say, like, none of those people want help. There are actually tons of people who want help and getting that help. Often there's 30 people for one bed and the, the providers have to make like just this, these excruciating decisions about who gets that opportunity to save their life, right? Yes. So uh, Brian Jones, senator, was here uh, and he talked about how we need to force more of those people into treatment because they're not willing to do it themselves. And I brought up like, there's no space. And I thought uh, Dr. Margot Cushell, uh, who was at PolitiFest and you interviewed, she brought it up great. She's like, all of this talk about forcing people into treatment is itself uh, a real like political theater because we don't even have spots for the 30% of people that she found in her giant study of people who are homeless in this state who want support for these issues, who want that help and cannot find it. So until we get that down to a small number, what are we even talking about forcing people? That said, there's a really interesting dispute going on in San Diego I wanted to bring you in to talk about. So let's talk about SB 43, but first, the predecessor to it, the CARE option. So can you describe these laws that, that California passed? Okay. So CARE Act, which is already in effect in San Diego, basically is a supposedly voluntary process, new court process, where people can essentially be compelled into care. But it's a very narrow group of people that we're talking about. These are people with psychotic disorders. You, you can compel people to volunteer for this. It's quite, there are a lot of questions. I actually was sitting right. in a <laughs> conference of homeless service providers yesterday right. and the dis, you know discussion around this is like, people are still right. really struggling, struggling to wrap their arms around this. Um, so that is in effect in San Diego, but again, very narrow group of people. And it's not just focused on homeless people. And really, it, it allows families, um, service providers, law enforcement to put forth petitions to the court. And then there's a process where the county will do an evaluation and determine whether this person is eligible for care court. The and court will take a look at that. Just about mental health issues itself. This is just about mental health. Although I believe that if there's some level of psychosis that might be related to long-term drug use, you might be qualifying for that, but mostly it's really about people that have schizophrenia or other psychotic disorders. So very narrow. So right away, they they realize like that leaves out all of these people who have some of these issues, but related to behavioral health, which is the combination of mental health and substance abuse. And they passed SB 43. So what does that do? Yes. So SB 43 expands eligibility for conservatorships and short-term holds, which could be for up to 72 hours where people are brought in to the hospital. Some people have probably heard the term 5150 to include people with severe substance use disorders. And it also sort of lowered the bar on this thing called gravely disabled. Um, and basically, you know, just made it easier because right now the bar is considered to be very high. So I've literally heard of instances where somebody's eating out of a garbage can and determined not to be gravely disabled. Um, so this would expand 
uh, conservatorships and these short-term holds. Um, there's been a discussion for a long time, actually like a parity discussion within the larger mental health, physical health parity discussion of how substance use disorders get treated differently. So right now, without this law going into effect, people are often coming into the ER and then as soon as they're coming down from whatever it is that they're on, they're being discharged. And it just creates a cycle where a lot of times people are coming in, maybe there is some effort to try to connect them with something, but often this is just happening again and again. So the idea by uh, putting forth SB 43 is to try to connect these folks with care, which brings us back to the topic we were talking about earlier. Does that care actually exist? And now the answer is largely no. Okay. So the counties have two years to implement SB 43. And there was a big debate that erupted this week about whether they would. And on the one side, there was whether the city or the county of San Diego would. Uh, Nora Vargas, the chair of the county board of supervisors, was against implementing it right away. She wanted to see a delay because she was getting a lot of pressure from hospitals, right? And what was their case? So the hospitals are concerned um, that there is going to be an influx of people coming into their ERs more people than already are coming in with substance use disorders and more frequently, but they aren't going to have places to take them or to, tra- you know, to transition them to. And so it just could result in more cycling and disruptions for other people that are coming into the ERs to get help. Because essentially it's, it's, it looks like a, a, a detention, but it's also a guarantee of care in a way, right? It's basically saying like these people are going to get treatment. The the state is saying they're mandated to get treatment, right? Essentially, if they end up getting more than a 72-hour hold, then there could be a process where they could be conserved. Interestingly, right now, you know, everybody's probably heard of locked mental health facilities. We've all heard the old stories about the state hospitals. We don't have locked facilities for people with substance use disorder, And so that's something that has to be created. Um, I do think it's important to also just talk about the challenges with the people that we're talking about here. Um, So, and even just determining what is severe substance use disorder. A couple things that I don't think got enough discussion this week was that the sheriff had come forward actually, and she was wanting postponement um, because she was arguing, well, we need to know like what the definition of severe substance use disorder is and how we figure out if somebody's been diagnosed. Like, uh, you know, otherwise you could have uh, law enforcement going and trying to make these tough decisions that really like doctors have can have trouble determining even. Um, and another thing that came up um, was Marissa Verand, who is executive director of the McAllister Institute, which is the largest substance use treatment provider for Medi-Cal Uh, insurance in San Diego, made the point that the very people that are often coming in as gravely disabled, so people that have other health conditions that make us notice them, right? So maybe they're dealing with incontinence. Maybe they have a horrible wound from their drug use. They often come into a facility like McAllister, and then they're sent back to the ER because they have a medical issue that needs 
a higher level of care and monitoring. Mm-hmm. So part of the process that the county's really looking at now is it's going to have to figure out what do we do? How do we provide care for these folks? I also think it's really notable that up and down the state, counties are delaying implementation um, by two years, most of them. And so this debate in San Diego really was a lot more contentious than that. Right. You know, it was really like an easy item for in other but places. Not, not all, like Sacra- or San Francisco adopted well, right away. Well, San right? Francisco is interestingly, and yeah, I'll use this to kind of talk about something in my reporting process early on when I was looking at this, is so San Francisco, immediately the governor signs and the mayor of San Francisco is like, okay, I'm going to put together a task force and we're going to talk about implementing this and, you know, and uh, this is num- a big priority for us. I was starting to hear about SB 43 as I was talking to folks about care court and what was going to happen with that. And what I kept hearing is, oh, boy, Lisa, this issue is bigger than care court. You should really be paying more attention to SB 43. But then when I went to the county and I was trying to ask them, you know, and this was like kind of as this was going through. Yeah, they I mean, literally, it delayed my story because I was having to tell so many people what SB 43 even was. And so one of the things that, you know, came up in the discussion the other day, too, was um, Tara Lawson-Reamer, um, county supervisor, she was asking a lot of pointed questions of the county and especially the county's behavioral health director. And one of the points that she was making is, we knew that this was coming and what sort of preparations were we doing? And of course, you know, the behavioral health director had, an, you know, an answer. He said, oh, we've been working on, you know, these bridge programs in the ER for people to connect um, with care, but, you know, acknowledge there's a lot of work to do. But there was just really a lot of frustration. And I've heard a similar sentiment from Mayor Gloria that, you know, this is a problem. You need to do something about it. And so we need to create this thing that kind of compels you and pushes you. To address yeah, the problem. Yeah, so that's what I wanted to talk about. So the, the pushback came in large part from him, and he's looking at all these concerns from the hospitals and from sheriff and other places, and he's basically saying, like, that's BS, that you just aren't ready and that we should we should be okay with whatever crisis you're describing because maybe that will finally force you, the county, to create the beds that don't exist, to create the system, because you're not going to do it without that crisis, so what what maybe and that was a really interesting leadership debate in my opinion because there is this idea among leaders like you're running a company so you're just like you set a goal and you're just like you just got to hit it you got to go there you got to deal with it and we're not going to get anything until you or like a store gets overwhelmed with customers and they got to build whatever capacity they have to to deal with the customer well in this case like if they get overwhelmed with need to cover all these people, they would do what they had to do to take care of them. And so the county's saying, no, 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 it's just gonna be a mess and they're gonna have, they're gonna suffer more without that. And the hospitals are saying that. And then the the mayor and these other guys are saying, like, no, 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 you just have to deal with it. You're gonna have to deal with it. And I find that fascinating. Like that dispute to be like just a really interesting debate to have. Like, what are we and I sympathize with the idea of like we've we've now been reporting for four months, three months, this this reality. And it's only now with this debate that they're having any significant discussion about it. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Scott has some thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> He's got some well, thoughts. Well, I think, remind me, I, I mean, I was sort of listening to it in the background, but 
like Tara, when she was asking all those questions and it seemed like the responses were very much like, well, there's a lot we have to plan for. Here's like some work we've done, but there's a lot we need to do. And she's like, uh, hello, like we did COVID. Like we put up these tents. We like we acted in a situation where, you know, things were kind of going crazy. And I feel like her take was like, we you were capable of doing something big. I felt like that's what she was saying. Yeah. And I, I hear this a lot. And I think, you know, one of the examples that I always think of when this comes up is that the McAllister Institute that I mentioned earlier, they got $12 million from the city and the county to locate a facility that would have both detox and other treatment beds. And a couple years later, and at least 45 different properties later, they still have not found a spot. And, you know, they have said to me, oh, you know, we're getting so much support from the city and the county. They're helping us. Um, but, oh, my God, yeah. <laughs> like 45 properties. And this is something that, you know, the, the people that are in the know know that this is a problem, that there's a need for these beds, these detox beds in particular. And it's just not happening yeah, I, I and I think that's what's driving me the most nuts. If and and I can't help but sympathize with the the COVID take because the COVID take is we saw you worry about a public health challenge, get ventilators, you know, get all of these resources together. We saw you put up temporary tents for the possibility that the ERs were going to overflow and to set these things up. Here we have a public health emergency. How many people died last year? Of overdoses? 1,300. Yeah, 1,300 people died of overdoses last year. That, that's more than, than we saw in the COVID times as far as people dying. So why aren't we seeing that level of emergency and urgency about this? And I can't help but think it's just because it's a taboo. Like everybody's like, oh, it's, a, it's drugs. It's they're bad people or they're they're they've fallen. They've they're these fallen population that we don't have to worry about in the same way that we worry. They've and I and I can't it, it's driving me nuts because everybody's freaked out about it. Everybody's upset about what they're seeing every day. The people that you see every day laying on the street. And that's just the people who are visible struggling with something. And it's just like there is no place for them to go. And I and and so this week, I just loved it. I loved it. The count, the city of San Diego passed a resolution declaring the lack of beds an emergency. Like it's like, <laughs> uh, all right, thanks guys. Like I, I, I get it. I'm glad. I'm glad. Unanimous. <laughs> I'm glad. Uh, thanks. Thanks. But here, they, here you have one group trying to find a spot. Where's the emergency about them finding a spot? All that stuff. It's like, so I get the I get the the mayor's urgency of like this. Something needs to drive this in a different direction. I mean, when the emergency happened with the people, with the migrants getting dropped off at the transit stations, they passed, you know, emergency $3 million. They're putting up another $3 million this week to try to get services to them. They can act when something gets into the, the public forefront of the consciousness, but for some reason, they can't get any movement on this. Yeah, and it just, one thing I always think is really important to emphasize is we all, whether we realize it or not, know somebody that's struggling with substance use disorder. And there are a lot of housed people that are struggling too. And a lot of them do have access to private health insurance, but even then it's really hard. And so when we're talking about people who are, you know, living outside and have a lot of other struggles, 
it's so hard for them to try to turn things around. Right. And I think like the that's that's what I always want to like emphasize as well is that if you are addicted to meth or alcohol or fentanyl or something, like if you're asking, yeah, the first time you did those things, that that was your choice. Maybe that was a moral failure of some kind. But it, but after that, it it becomes a dependency, a physical dependency that to get off of is extremely difficult and painful. Like the 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 amount of of you know sort of disorder your body goes through when that happens is so extreme that we can't hope for an improvement of this process unless you provide the kind of help for people going through that that they need. Like even just to say, can you imagine going through it? Like it's already hard enough to be on the street. I would not go through that if I was on the street. It would be it would be un it would be unfathomable to go through that process in a tent in forty five degree weather outside. To, to the amount of times you have to go to the bathroom or deal with what you're the pain you're dealing with is just extreme. It would be much easier to take another hit and relax. Well, and what experts tell me again and again is they talk about this thing called the golden hour, where you have this moment where somebody says, okay, I just had an overdose or I had a bad experience. I let somebody I love down. I'm ready to get help. And we do not have on-demand treatment consistently in San Diego for people who want to do that. And that's and when you ask all the conservatives too about what they would do, they're like, well, stop giving homes to the homeless, take care of their drug problem. They're not doing that. They're not even, there's nothing there to do that with. There's no... So, okay, let's go. Let's do it. I'm ready. Thousands of places. Let's get them ready. It's just like, it's it, something has to change. And and the resolutions, the the processes, the task force, stop it. Just build a bunch of tents and get it done. Figure it out. I don't know what to do. Yeah. I, if I had easy answers, I'd definitely be writing them, Scott. Wait, <laughs> did you say what they decided to do? So, oh, yeah. So, good point. Did we say? <laughs> I don't remember. We, we really should clarify exactly where they landed, right? Where they landed. Um, so, what the county ultimately decided to do was delay implementation of SB 43 until January 2025. But, and the mayor is really on this one, they're going to come back, staff is going to come back to the board in March and give a status update of, you know, <laughs> what have they found what have they done? Is there any chance they could implement this sooner? And so that's another moment that we'll all want to watch How did for. the vote go? So it ended up 3-2, um, where um, the folks, obviously Tara Lawson-Reamer wants them to move faster. Also, Joel Anderson voted against it. Um, interestingly, Jim Desmond seemed to be, you know, he's really grappling with this. He decided he they weren't ready, even though he said he'd really like them to move more quickly. Monica Montgomery Stepp and one of her first, you know, big votes or really her first big vote at the county. She was also sort of grappling with like the public is expecting us to act with urgency on this, um, but we can't cause more harm. We need to be honest with people. And then obviously Nora Vargas, the chair, um, was really arguing that they needed the postponement. Well, Lisa Halberstadt, you follow this and we expect to um, follow it intensely over the next year. Thank you for coming in. Thanks for having me. We're going to take a quick break. Stay with us.
Join culture creator Ramel Wallace, museum CEO Micah Parson, philanthropist Erwin Jacobs, and urban agriculturist Diane Moss on season two of Stop and Talk, a podcast about the future of the San Diego region. How can we create a vibrant region that celebrates our cultural richness and economic strength? Find out and hear other San Diego experts on Stop and Talk. Discover seasons one and two now at stopandtalkpodcast.com. That's stopandtalkpodcast.com. Are you passionate about resolving conflicts and making positive impact in the world? Then USD's Conflict Management and Resolution Master's Program may be for you. Learn to address conflicts at all levels, from personal disputes to global crises. Join the Croc School's dedicated community fostering peace and understanding while you acquire practical skills to navigate diverse settings. Apply now and be the change you want to see in the world. Visit sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. That's sandiego.edu slash peace slash VOSD. The city council of the city of San Diego is nine Democrats, no Republicans, but it's getting spicy. And um, the tea uh, tea, is spilling (laughs) to the public sphere. So Monday, girls are watching city council meetings. (laughs) Yeah, the little girls are watching. You're right. The (laughs) Monday was the election of a new city council president. Now, just a quick, can I just do a quick review? 20. Would you not do it if we asked you? <laughs> no, I think he's. He, he, look at that smile. He's too excited. Do the review. Stop it. Let's go. In 2004, the, the city of San Diego voted to implement the strong mayor form of government. The mayor used to be uh, the head of the city council. He was the chair. She was the chair of the city council, decided what was on the agenda, but was not representing any particular area, just represented the whole city. After that, the mayor became the CEO of the city. And they they added another council district, and the the city council president became what the mayor used to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and every year they have to choose a city council president, and some it really de- changes how the city government goes based on who they they chosen. So two years ago they chose Johnny Lo Rivera. Two years have passed, and this was his third attempt at it, and they went forward. I'm very excited about 2024, um, and with that I will move. Uh, nominating Sean Ela Rivera to be council president for 2024. Thank you, Councilmember Lacaba. So we've got a motion there, Councilmember Moreno. So your hand go up. A lot of resentment and concern about his term there. A lot of support came out in the meeting, and here was a taste. So this was Jen Campbell, the former city council president, who Ela Rivera ousted. Uh, Marnie Von Wilpert, who represents the sort of um, Scripps Ranch, Rancho Bernardo area, and Raul Campillo, who represents the like Tierra Santa, San Carlos area. Here were their comments about why they're not excited about Elo Rivera. Uh, you promised that you would be uh, fair, and despite your assurance of impartiality and collaboration, you have demonstrated unreliability by penalizing council members who did not initially support you, either by move, removing them from their committees or reducing their committee members or reducing their responsibilities on council. I feel this council has become more and more divided in the past two years under this council president's leadership. Half of these council districts lost committee positions last year. 
Half of this council has been cut out of the budget on final budget decisions in the last two years, including my council district. There are little girls watching these council meetings, and I've been asked publicly multiple times why women get interrupted more than men by some of the people in leadership. I do not believe that that is the kind of council presidency that we want as a body. I further observe that the docketing power of the council presidency is exercised capriciously. You've obstructed appointments of fellow council members to outside boards where their service would benefit all nine districts. You've used the docketing power to delay an appointment even though you eventually voted to confirm the nominee. This costs our city positive influence in our region. The council presidency was not meant to be hoarded by one person. It's an administrative leadership duty intended to be shared by all council members. All right, so I just want to react to one thing. Marty Von Wilpert was the one that said that this is an administrative role that everybody should get. That's not at all in the city charter. In fact, it, it was really clear. <laughs> Scott's at the time, like, fact check. <laughs> it was really clear at the time that this was meant to be a very powerful position that the council, it wasn't just supposed to be a strong mayor form of government. It was supposed to be a strong council as well. And the council was supposed to be led by what the, the role that used to be held by the mayor, which was the, the council presidency. That's a big job to decide what they get to debate about. It's not, it wasn't supposed to be a rotating, like ceremonial thing. Mm -hmm. And I kind of, I was like, you, you can debate other things, but that, that's just not how the history went from somebody who watched that firsthand. That's all. I just want to point that out. I got to say, watching it. You watched it. I live. watched it. I mean, I, I had it in the background, you know, obviously morning report. It like immediately stopped me and I just had to listen to it. was just back to back everything they were listing. And it was like resentment. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so like, you did this and we, you know, we did not get these appointments. And your comments about um, when they discussed the mayor's housing action package 2.0, um, about how you didn't want to release your amendments early on because you didn't want to hear everybody's voices. And they just were throwing, they were throwing some of his previous votes in his face. Um, it was quite uncomfortable. Like, I kind of wish I had been in that room just to experience how, like, You're tense. Like, it was so uncomfortable. I just so to uncomfortable. Be there. <laughs> I wanted to be there. I was like, wow. Some very stark comments. I mean, very, very stark. And, and what's interesting to me was, um, I believe it was Wilpert's uh, statement about how the council is become more divided, which I mean, isn't that kind of what bodies are supposed to be? They're supposed to be representing different viewpoints and, and different ideological, you know, perspectives. I think there's, there's a couple of things going on there. Uh -huh. One, I think that's a great point. Like there isn't, there is a discomfort with conflict, just yeah. like, as though like just disagreeing is itself uh, a failure. Mm -hmm. And, but I also, I, I think clearly he hasn't won the support of people who voted against him in the first round, right? Clearly he has. Do, do you remember, is this, did it break down in the same way during yes, the first so election? So Jen Campbell was the city council president. She expected uh -huh. to get another term. Yeah. But Chris Kate, the only Republican on the, on the council, decided to change his mind and support Elo Rivera instead, and this whole flip happened. Mm -hmm. And it was a big surprise. It was a huge moment. And and I think that um, they're like, and so he obviously has, to the extent that he cares or that anybody cares that he has more support than just the bare majority of the council, he's obviously failed. But to the extent that he doesn't care, maybe he doesn't. Maybe that's the point of these sort of majority rule type situations. Uh -huh. But the, the thing that kind of gets me is like, so you voted against the chair and he didn't give you what you wanted. Like that's how the 
the game works, right? Yeah. You cannot like, maybe you can think like you, you should still reach out and you should still give your political opponents you know, something to help or to, to make them feel better about yeah, giving a little lollipop or something. Right? Yeah. But he, he clearly doesn't do that. It's a more like aggressive, assertive way of leadership. You're just, you're just saying like, I'm, the, I'm in the majority and this is what I'm going to see happen. And the people who support me get things and the people who don't, that's just, that's literally how the house of representatives work. How's it? Yeah. It's my vision. This is my priority. And I'm going to put the people in positions that I think are going to carry that out or mm -hmm. support those ideals. Right. And so, I, I don't know, that feels a little naive. But then Monica Montgomery steps up. So she stayed on the city council for this date, for this, for this vote. This was her last day. And she had her own real talk. The power does not concede without a demand for that power. And I think that, in my opinion, there has been a misinterpretation of having a strong council that actually wants to try to take that power as being, uh, that's being interpreted by some as being disingenuous and being disrespectful, when really what it is is us trying to have an identity as a council and have an impact as a council and not then not otherwise be folks who just sit here and, and pontificate without making real change. She later went on to say that, and I think she said it without explicitly saying it, which is also not my favorite thing, but I think what she was basically saying is that there's a lot of people, the opposition, and import, importantly to this to him, that are taking their cues from the mayor, and he's not here. They, they're, uh, they're taking their cues from that. And what she's saying is like, we are doing things to highlight our independence to to protect our independence and to do things and to have our own identity as a as a as a body and you're acting like that itself is somehow like a a problem mm -hmm. because there's no other way to do that there's no other way to be an identity a separate thing from the mayor without some of these uncomfortable moments where we don't necessarily share our ideas with the mayor first or with the public first without just airing them to the public in this in this controlled setting. And mm -hmm. so it's just a really stark divide yeah. uh, of approaches where, and I think it's it, it's not, I guess you could say like this is the progressives and liberals versus the conservatives on the council when they're all Democrats, yeah. but I don't think it's that stark. It's more of this like divide between people who are on board maybe with what you might call the mayor or the mayor's agenda or the mayor's ideas and the people who are not, and they're they have the majority right now. Yeah, I loved um, this moment, which like speaks to probably how awkward it felt to be sitting there um, and just like listening to the music or listening to the meeting um, virtually. Someone mentioned like, I really hope you guys do a restorative justice circle. <laughs> it's just like it just felt like airing like all of your like dirty laundry, <laughs> like yeah. it, and and not in a good way because it did feel like, you know, complaining about or or you know like saying you were upset about not being assigned certain things or it just felt I don't know had a feeling of like reality TV like 
it just was so weird. It it just felt really awkward. I feel like after con- like real contentious votes like this, they could ju- they should just do a silly vote for for funsies. You know, like <laughs> vote on what their favorite ice cream is, or well, I or work on the next flag. Right? <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the city of San Diego needs a new flag. We'll talk about that more. But I think, uh, yeah, I I don't know. I just it it was definitely a, a moment in time with the city council. I am perfectly comfortable with conflict they should this is hardly i think like a a, this is not a like covid type violent or weird conflict this this, they have complaints they aired them i think pretty clearly Mm -hmm. and and the other side has a point of view about why they have those complaints and why they shouldn't have those complaints and it's like yeah what what do you think this means for the council moving forward and and maybe for the way in which they interact with the mayor I think that it'll be really interesting to see what impact it does have. So they did make changes to the housing action plan, mm-hmm. but they're not that big of changes. The the perhaps we're just seeing that like a, a body is going to continue to act in unison on things, but will fight even harder about smaller things, right? Yeah. yeah. And maybe that's how it goes or it turns into more dysfunction and they're not able to mobilize on things like, you know, beds for people who need them or uh, other major land use debates, maybe things will break down even more there. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't feel like these are major um, uh, changes that would affect the direction of the do city. You, do you think this division makes it more interesting for who will take Monica's seat? Because now she's gone. She's on the county board of supervisors. So yeah. yeah, I mean, there's they she she explained that she wanted to stay to make this vote because she wanted her district to have a voice in mm. this debate. Mm-hmm. But also, she was a clear vote that if without her would have would have shaken up everything. And so, yes, the mayor has somebody he's excited about winning that election. I'm not sure where we're at with her uh, supported candidate. And how that plays out will absolutely have a major impact on on these sorts of discussions and on whether it's that sort of one side that has control of the city council or the other. Thanks for listening to the Voice of San Diego podcast, the most popular public affairs podcast that is co-hosted by the... SoCal 1904 Fast Pitch League Champions 10U Manager. It's the most popular public affairs podcast co-hosted by that person. Join the Voice San Diego community at vosd.org slash community. Any gift you make, that's contribution, that's cash money you send, has a big impact on our organization. We really need it. This is when we raise most of our money for the year. Uh, It makes us able to do these podcasts, these newsletters, these events, and all the local coverage you value, go to Voice of San Diego. That's VOSD.org slash community, VOSD.org slash community, and please contribute. That helps a ton. I'm Scott Lewis, CEO and Editor-in-Chief at Voice San Diego. Andrea Lopez Villafaña is our Managing Editor. (laughs) Nate John is our producer. Jacob McQuinney is our education reporter. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. 